So we're in the middle of this series. We're actually nearing the end of the series. Next week is the final week of the series we're calling Questioning Faith. And it's been kind of this journey into um, starting over in some ways about why we believe what we believe and why that matters. And, And part of it is being able to have intelligent conversations with people who don't yet believe in Christ. We talk here often about this moment of decision for Jesus, that you can receive him as your savior, that you can believe in him for eternal life, that you can trust that his death on the cross paid for all of your sins. And, and that, that is a huge moment in your life. And yet we know, based on our experience, that our journey with Christ is not a day, a moment, a decision alone, but it's this journey from non-believing to believing, and, and from believing to deeper believing, from faith to faith right? And so we've been walking through this series called Questioning Faith, but we started way on the outside about, you know, is there a God? And um, then we asked about the Bible. Is what the Bible says true? Can we trust the Word, really? Or is it just a book, you know? And you can have a difference of opinion about that. We asked the question, what's so special about Jesus Christ? Why do we make much of Jesus when we're together? Why should you and I make much of Jesus in our private life? right? Not just here on Sundays and not just when someone, you know, asks us, but why should we make much of Jesus every day? Um, we answer that question. We ask the question, where is God now? We ask that question about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going ahead of you to prepare, and to send my counselor to you, prepare a place for you to come and join me. And so there's this kind of idea that God is dwelling with us right now. We're called to walk in step with him each day. And then we ask the question, uh, what is the church or what is church, I should say, and why are we here? So this seventh week of the series, we're going to be asking the question, uh, how does life end, right? And um, this is one of those, you know, kind of pivotal questions of our existence. I've said to you this whole series that everything that we've talked about has applied to believers and non-believers alike. Whether you believe in Jesus or you don't, these are all questions that you should grapple with in some way, you know, things that we should be figuring out while we're here on earth. I have a question for you. How many of you chose to be born? You know, Brian, you married into the Cordy family, but how many of you chose to be born into your family? Yes? Brittany? <laughs> Maybe. Not right? We are, we are born by the sovereignty of God. I mean, this whole existence of life is a gift from God himself. We, we didn't think it up. We didn't think it was a good idea. And maybe if you're like me, along the way you thought maybe this was a bad idea. You know what I mean? Like maybe you thought, if I could have picked the family, I might not have picked this one, you know? Um, if you married into your family that you picked, I'm sorry, you made that decision, all right? But the one you were born into, you had nothing to say. You were just born into it. I say all that to say there are two times, and I say this to people all the time, but there are two times, and there are these kind of moments along the way, I think the decision to follow Christ is one of those huge, you know, uh, watershed moments of our life where everything changes, but there are these two points where God speaks in a profound way that we have nothing to say, we only listen. And the first is when we're born, we have nothing to say about it. And right now, if you're in this room, you were born, Right? I mean, are you with me? If you're here and you're sucking wind, you were born. God made you. And, 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 you, and that's a moment, and you probably weren't aware, as I was not aware, of your, the, 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 the amazing gift of your own birth. You kind of forget that, don't you? You're coming. But somewhere along the way, you start to realize you're here. And you start to go, huh, 
you know, I'm here. And we start to think great things about ourselves. How we're going to do this and we're going to do that. The other time, though, that God speaks most profoundly, and I'll tell you the truth, this shocked me, that shocked me as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is in times of death. I came to faith in Christ through a faithful Bible-teaching church. I, I had faithful brothers and sisters around me that, that bore with me and all my questions and all my annoyances, and they kept loving me anyway. And by the grace of God, I came to faith in Christ. And yet I was shocked the first time I stepped into a room dealing with death. And I thought, who has anything to say here? My experience was that God speaks most profoundly when we die. I can't explain it to you other than just say I experienced that reality. That when no one else, when there's nothing else to be said. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. I wrote an article for the news leader about this recently. But um, we had a tragedy in our family. And I was at a family funeral. And if you can imagine, I, I get involved in some funerals, not a lot, you know, but some, I've been involved in several funerals since becoming a pastor. But this one was family. And I, my stepfather passed away last November as well, so I, I've had some personal tragedy over the last year, some difficulty, you know. But this one was my extended family, and I was standing outside of the funeral home. And I had no responsibilities. I mean, I didn't have any scripture to read. I didn't have any prayers to say. I was just invited to come and mourn with the family. And as I stood there outside, kind of observing, watching this tragedy unfold before me, I saw men and women who every day of their life were oblivious to God's reality. Every day of their life, they lived it as if they're never going to die, as if there's no end coming, as if we're, we're eternal of, in and of ourselves. And, and, and some of the things that I observed were shocking to me. One of the things that I was surprised by was man's tendency to try to dress up death. I wrote about this in the article. We use special lights. We use special things. My family had taken a, a rosary and wrapped it around the dead person's hands. There was all this attempt to religiousify his passing. But that wasn't the most profound thing I saw. As I stood outside, this particular funeral home had these pillars, these pillars. And I watched one of my family members a great strong man. As they brought the casket out, lean against that pillar and crumble. I mean, you could just see it. Everything that he thought he knew was coming apart in death. And I realized that the weight of it all was the reality that we live in. It was weighing on him. The denial the obstinance, everything. And it begins and he sinks down. He is defeated. And I realize in this moment, he is, dealing with a, he is dealing with a reality he is not prepared for. He's not ready for this today. I was shocked. And I cried. And I mourned. And I lamented death. And yet I had hope. And I could see that others had none. And so today I want to ask the question of us, how does life end? I think it's critical 
that we have some understanding of how it starts and how it ends. It informs everything that we decide in the middle. It should inform how we live this day. So as we enter into God's word, I'm going to ask that you would enter into his presence with me, just asking that we would be aware of him, not that he would come. He's here, that we would acknowledge his presence in our lives, in our hearts, and in our midst today. Please pray with me. Father, today we've come here to worship you, to sing praises, to give back. Just give back some of the glory you've poured out in your creation. That you've, just give back some of the air you've pushed into our lungs today. Give back some of the strength that you've given us to the food that you've given us, the homes, the nurture, the care, the love. Today we've come here into your presence to speak about difficult things about our own limited time on earth and about what you have to say on eternal matters. I pray that today we be acknowledging your presence, that we be attentive to your spirit, that all those doubts and those things in our minds that we say, not for me, not today, not yet, that we would set at your feet and just be willing to hear from you. May you teach us in our innermost being that no one should convince us otherwise. And we'll give you praise and glory this day and every day by the power of your spirit that you're pouring out even now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to ask three questions. If you grabbed an engagement sheet this morning, you're going to see them on there. But the first question that we're going to ask today in our time together is, um, uh, why do we die? Why do we die at all? You know, I mean, if you think about how you would design things, I don't know if I would have that as part of my plan. And uh, we're going to go back, actually, where we were last week. It's kind of funny how we're doing this again, but we're going to go back. This wasn't necessarily the plan, but it just where the truth of this was taught. It's in the, the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. I think it's on page one if you're using one of our Bibles. We're just going to read two verses here. We read this last week as part of a larger narrative. And you probably know the story, like you were probably taught this story as a little kid, but I think it's instructive to, to get eyes on it and read it. So here... Hear the word with me. So we talked about the creation last week and how God created everything, but then here it says in verse 16 of chapter 2, and Yahweh God commanded man, he gave us commands, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat from it, you will surely die. This is just a command given in God's perfect creation. He's like, just don't eat from this one tree. Don't do this one thing. And, and, but it's not just a command like you shouldn't do this. He's like, because if you do, there's going to be this result, this result. You'll remember in chapter 3, when the temptation comes, it's the question, you're not going to surely die, right? I mean, there's some way out of this for you, isn't there? You know, I, I, you know, I love that we live in the time we live in right now because we have this kind of a health thing going on. I'm very aware of how healthy or unhealthy I am, and I think we're becoming more aware of how healthy, unhealthy we are. But the, the, where this thing goes awry is when we think we're going to escape death somehow. We're going to turn this, you know, eternal corner on our own. But here in Genesis, the creation narrative, God tells us, if you do this, you will die. We know the story. They do it. And lo and behold, death comes to the world. I wanted to uh, read with me also chapter 3, verse 19. This is when God says this is the result of what happened because of your disobedience. And he says this, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, 
and to, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. You remember he formed us from dust, and he's like, because of this, because of this act of disobedience, you will return to the ground. And, and this is something that when we do a funeral, we have a time of remembrance, we always remember these words, don't we? Something that God spoke over us of our own limited time. So here we have in Genesis, the Genesis, the start of what, where death comes from. I, I find a few things striking about this in Genesis, by the way. It's interesting that it, it enters the world before the first children are born. You remember that one of the promises in the garden was that Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. That, that was one of the realities that they had lived into. But before Cain is born, it happens right after this, before Cain is born, death has entered the world. Before the first generation comes to be, death visits us, God's people. And from this time on, God begins to restore us to his presence, to relationship with him. This is what we believe, uh, where we believe death begins. Uh, there are other theories, I'm sure. We're just finite people. But I'm more amazed by the fact that we just deny it altogether. Well, I want to I jump in to the time because if you look at the First Testament, it's all these attempts to deal with sin and death. It's all these attempts. And God is guiding his people. He's drawing them near to himself. By the way, that's the journey that we're on, being drawn near to God through everything. Near to God through everything. And I don't know if we believe that that's true. I lament death. I lamented this great man crumbling. I hated it. I hated that there was more hope than that. But even in that, do we believe that God is drawing us nearer to himself? Even in this act, this moment of death. Well, I'm going to ask the question then, as we go through the First Testament, people dealing with sin and death, but we believe as Christians that the cross of Christ once and for all triumphs over sin and death. That's what we believe. So the next question that I want us to get into is, well, how did Jesus deal with death, right? If this was our state, from dust you come into dust shall return, what was Jesus' response to the reality of death? And if you have your Bibles in your hands, and I hope that you do, please turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 11. John chapter 11. This is a famous story, again, much like the narrative in Genesis. You've probably heard it before. And so we're not going to go through the entire story. It's like almost the entire chapter in John 11. But I want to ask a few questions about Jesus' response to death. He's been walking and teaching his people. He's been loving them and, and challenging them and pressing them forward to think in new ways about God's presence with us. He's been challenging the people to stop assuming the way God has to work and start to see how he is working among us. And John chapter 11 comes as Jesus is beginning to turn toward Jerusalem, which, as you and I know, will become his own death, the place where he will meet this eternal curse. Read with me, starting in verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. 
He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sisters went back to sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When Jesus heard this about Lazarus, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it will be for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet whenever he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. We know that Jesus eventually goes. And I want you to look at chapter 11, verse 4, where he says something shocking when he hears that Lazarus is sick and dying. He says this, this sickness will not end in death. This sickness will not end in death. Now, why is that so shocking to me? Or maybe why should it be shocking to you? Because when Jesus shows up to find Lazarus, the friend that he loves, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And it seems to me that the speaker of all truth, the lover of all God's creations, God in the flesh, would not get it wrong. Does that seem like that to you? There was no falsehood found in him. And when Jesus looks at, or hears his word of Lazarus, he says it won't end in death. And not only that, he doesn't go running off to solve the problem. He doesn't even seem that concerned about it. Is that fair? The word says that he loved Mary. He loved Martha. And he loved Lazarus. And he proclaimed this word over Lazarus. This sickness will not end in death. You see, too many times for you and me, I feel like we, we fall prey to the way the world works. We believe it. Oh God, just heal me of this affliction. Take it from me. Because it's too hard. Oh, give me another year, another two years. We're not ready yet to die. And Jesus' words here seem shocking. Because if we believe what Jesus believes about eternal matters, and if we believe what we claim to believe about Jesus on the cross, we would not approach death that way. We wouldn't approach sickness that way. We would say this will not end in death. This illness won't end in death. You know the story. Jesus goes and he meets Mary and Martha, but one of them runs to him on the road, and when he sees them, he's sick to his stomach. By the way, I want to say something, too, about Mary and Martha. What's happening here is the Jewish community has come together, and they have this habit, this practice that they do when they come together when someone has died, that they just sit with one another. They don't say anything. They just show up at your house and sit with you, bearing witness to the loss. Not with words. We're so quick to fix, aren't we? Oh, someone's died. Let me help you. Oh, you're struggling. Let me rush in and fix it. I mean, I'm the worst. I'll be there for you. But these friends had come together in the passing of Lazarus and his death, and they were sitting. But one of the sisters runs out to meet Jesus, and she says, if only you had been here, he wouldn't have died. 
And the word says, when Jesus saw their grief, he wept. Jesus, same Jesus has said it won't end in death. I want to challenge our presumptions about living and dying today. I mean, I want to kind of shake the etch a sketch. I want to reset the clock. I want to think again about what this life is about and what passing is about and what our eternal Savior is about and what he's calling us to believe of himself. And it goes all the way back to chapter 11, verse 4. Because Jesus doesn't say this won't end in death. This sickness won't end in death. But the next thing he says is this. No, this is for God's glory that God's son might be glorified through him. And I know we know the story I know we know the story that in this moment, when Jesus comes and Lazarus is dead, he calls out, calls forth Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come out. You know, and I've talked to you about this first before, the power of God over the grave, the power of God over our circumstances, the power of God over our sickness, our illness, our death, our heartache, our hurt. He, he's commander of everything. We follow God as sovereign over everything. And if it was most glorifying to him that he would immediately lift these things from you and from me, he could speak it and it would be so. But Jesus comes to this moment with Lazarus because this sickness will not end in death. It will be for the glory of God and the glory of God's son. And that's what he says. Sometimes in our life, we just want this, this pain to stop. We just want the hurt to stop. And I know some of you, maybe all of you, have lost someone that you love very much. And some in tragic situations, tragic circumstances. And you just cry out and you say, God, if this would only stop. But today I want you to hear what Jesus believes about death. And he says, this will not end in death. This is for God's glory and the glory of his son. We start to see our lives this way and we start to believe that the suffering and the pain and the death are not acknowledgments of God's absence from us, but an acknowledgement that we are with him on the journey. Do you hear me? That, that we have the courage to look life and death in the eye and say, I will walk through this. Psalm 23 is a psalm that we preach. We talk about living and dying, and it says, though I walk through the valley of shadow death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We go with God through this journey of life and death. And here in this moment, Jesus says, this will be for God's glory. Jesus knew what he was talking about. Later on, the word says this. Many of the Jews who had come to sit and mourn, who had just showed up with nothing to say, when they saw Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, they believed. They believed. Those who were gathered near in Lazarus' passing, when they saw the grace, the presence, the reality of God among them, they believed. 
And Jesus' words in 11.4 when he says, this one and then death, but will be for the glory of God and his son Jesus come true. And I wonder in our own lives, do we have such courage to face pain and suffering and death in that way? To believe that in spite of all circumstances, in spite of all that we see, in spite of all that maybe we believe, that we know that God is working in it, through it, and transforming all of us, changing all of us to be nearer to himself. This is how Jesus dealt with death. And the reality is that he goes from Lazarus in the tomb, calling forth life, that the same Savior, the same rabbi, the same teacher walks into Jerusalem and opens his hands on a cross where he breathes his last and he says, Teralistai, it is finished. The one who could stand outside of the tomb entered into the tomb in death. That's what the word says. And we know the story that this present sickness will not end in death. The reason that we believe in Jesus, the reason that we're Christians at all is because of the resurrection from the dead. This reality that God has power over sin and death. And you and I, therefore, because of Christ, are called to live life differently. The Savior that we follow, he's not shocked by death. I don't even think he wants us to be afraid of it. We can mourn and we can lament and we can hate it because it's sinful, like it's the result of our sin. But it's not to be feared in Christ. So the last question that I want you and I to ask today is this. So how do we face death? I mean, this is a practical question. How are we going to face death in our life as believers in Jesus? What is it going to look like? I'm going to invite you to turn one time with me, one more time, to the book of Philippians. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. We're going to start in the first chapter and read a few verses here. But Paul gives us the, the, the way, the, his, his modus operandi, the way that he functions in this life because of the reality of Christ and Christ's crucifixion, death, and resurrection. And we're going to read from chapter 1, verse 19. Hear the word with me. Paul says, Yes, I will continue to rejoice always, for I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You know, Paul has not had an easy time in this world. Paul has not taken the easy path in following Jesus. And he says, I am convinced that because of your prayers and the presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that everything that happened to me will be for me, for my deliverance. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or whether by death. That is crazy talk from Paul. He's saying that I am so confident in Christ that no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the pain, no matter what the loss, even my own life, I'm going to trust that that will exalt God all the more. 
Jesus compels us forward, and Paul is leading by example. No matter what comes in my body, whether life or death, verse 21, listen to what he says. You know these words. We pull them out of here all the time. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Paul, prisoner. Paul, who has been abandoned by his people. Paul, who's been called a heretic and a lunatic. He's been beaten. He's, uh, he's ugly. He's banged up. Nobody wants to hang out with this guy anymore. And he's staying from prison, and he's saying, I am convinced that no matter what happens to me, if you read, by the way, I, I read the entire book of Philippians in preparing for this, and you know, it's not, it's a little bitty book. Read what Paul writes from prison to the church in Philippi. It's full of this idea that we are called to move forward, that we are compelled by the reality of Christ to not fear death, to not fear sickness. Many in the church have been deceived by that. God's whole job is just to deliver us from it. Our feet ain't going to touch the soil. We're going to be carried away. But there's so much more in Scripture. I mean, God can do that for his glory. But there's so much more in Scripture that says that we will suffer in this life with Christ for our good and his glory. Look at one more place with me, if you would. Philippians 3, just a few chapters later, verses 7 through 11. Paul says this, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. He's saying that anything that I had before that I claimed as my righteousness, my holiness, anything that I thought was going to get me through that last moment, that last breath, that last step of life, I count that all loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. What is more, I consider everything a complete, uh, everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Hear what the word is saying. I consider them all trash that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes by God and by the faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, so as somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. I mean, Paul not only says these present sufferings aren't the end of everything, and I count, but he's saying, what's coming ahead of me, I'm going to push to the very end. I asked a question today. I said, how does life end? How does life end for me and you? How does life end when it's hard? I, I feel like our most important step isn't our first one. Our most important moment isn't that moment back there, but it's the one that's coming. It's the one that's here. It's the one that's tomorrow. How are we going to face the end of life? 
I pray, I pray for myself. It's like Paul. And I say, despite everything else, all I want is Jesus. You remember what he said, to know the surpassing riches of Christ. Casting off everything else to pursue him, to know him more fully. This is Paul's testimony to the church, and he challenges us with it. How do you and I face death? Paul says, with great confidence we face death, because we know the one that overcame the grave. And with great suffering and spreading and sharing the gospel with others, working with Christ to share the good news of God with us. That's the story of Emmanuel, isn't it? In our life, we're too quick to run in and fix it. We're too quick to see the trouble and go, oh, we're doomed, doomed. Instead of honestly looking at it and saying, yes, but Christ. This is hard, but Christ. We aren't there yet, but Christ is calling us forward. And in the moment, when we ready ourselves, I hope you're ready today to meet your maker. It could be your last day. It could be your last day. You didn't decide to wake up this morning. You didn't decide to keep breathing. But in that moment, we're ready for Christ. Paul says that I might know him more fully. I might experience Jesus more real. So I ask today, how has God called you to live? your life? Are you afraid of death? Do you mourn as those without hope? Are you pressing forward, knowing what Paul said is true, to live as Christ and to die as gain? How will you and I face death? I told a story. I love this story. I love this story because it's someone that I have my hands on just like you. Someone I was in the room sucking wind with, just like you right now. Someone who had gone before me and had believed in Christ longer than me and had lived more life than me and had more experience than I did. He was a godly man. He was a saintly man. He was beautiful in all of his flaws. He was a leader in the church I was involved with, and I sat at the table, and we're having one of our normal meetings, our boring meetings, our silly, stupid meetings about what we're going to do for God's glory. And as we're sitting there, we're talking about the reality of life. He says, before we get started tonight, brothers, I want to share something with you that's been really on my heart. He said, I had this friend since I was a little boy. We grew up together, and him and I knew each other well. And he said, along in our lives, we both separately came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Now, this man that was speaking came to know God when he was 10 years old, believing in Jesus at 10 years old. And now this man in his 80s is sitting at the table. And he says, when we've tried to be faithful servants, we've tried to give the gifts that God gave us back to him for his glory. But he said, this has been a hard week. Because... Last week, I got a call and heard that he wasn't doing very well. And he said, and I went to see him because he's my friend. 
He said, and I stood beside his bed and I took his hand. I mean, you have to understand something. As this man's telling the story, he's been married for 50-something years to his wife, but he's known this guy longer. He's been in relationship with Christ longer. And they've been journeying together longer, holding each other to account. And he says, in this moment, I'm standing beside his bed, not knowing what to say. And my friend, who has been faithful his whole life, looks up at me and he says, well, I guess I'm about to find out if all my faithfulness, if all my obedience and my laying myself out brought glory to God. See, there's a moment when you and I will be in that place of our last breath and we have to ask that question. And I hope that like my friend who influenced me so deeply and his friend who influenced him so deeply, I mean, this man of God said, I'm not a man of God compared to him. And in this moment, what he is clinging to is not his efforts or his works, but the hope he has in Christ Jesus. That's the way I want to end my life. That's the kind of witness I would like to be. Please pray with me. Father, God of all creation, who breathed life into our lungs, who gave us this day as a gift to enjoy, to celebrate, and to love, to love the time with each other and love you, I pray that today you would call us to a deep, abiding, trusting faithfulness that we would not, we would see beyond the day, we would see beyond the sufferings, and we would know you more fully. That we would change our whole mindset when we face things in this life that are hard, and we would turn them not from pity parties about us and to, to glory for you. Oh God, we need strength to do that well. We are so prone to feel sorry for ourselves. I pray, Father God, by your grace and mercy, that if there are those here today that don't even know the healing of your Son and our Savior Jesus, that they are still so lost and hurting and far from God that you would whisper to them today, they are near. You are near. And then in a moment, their whole lives, their eternal destiny can change in your Son and our Savior Jesus. Lord, I thank you as one who sat at the foot of the cross and just received the gift of salvation. And I pray that today there might be more who would trust you for the first time. And I pray for all the rest who are here who believe in you, but who struggle and stumble each day, moving forward faithfully after you, that you would bind us up, lift us up, and draw us near in faithful pursuit that we could know you more fully. Father, if there are things in our lives that we need to cast away, if there are things that we're holding on to that are holding us back, I pray that you would help us to release them, that we might be free in Christ. We don't want the stuff of the world. We don't want the trappings of the world. We want Jesus. We want resurrection. We want life. And Father, I ask that today you remove anything that keeps us from that. May you be glorified as your servants continue to pursue you, to bring glory to your name, to worship you, to draw near to you this day and always. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.